On the Isle of Patmos, John began to say, The Spirit, it came on me, it was on the Lord's day. When I heard a voice behind me, as a mighty rushing wind. Oh, the voice of God like a trumpet, and these are the words He said. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am first, I am last, and I'm the answer for your sins. I am He who died and was buried. I am the one who rose again. John, tell it to the churches. comes asking, oh Lord, what should I say? To the land of milk and honey, God's children will go away. I am that I am sent me, now let my people go today. He said I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am first. I am last, and I'm the answer for your sins. I am He who died and was buried. I am the one who rose again. So go tell it to the churches. I am. When you're thirsty, I'm the water. And when you're hungry, I'm the bread. And when you're bound down in your sorrow, I am the lifter of your head. When you're lost in sin, I'm your Savior, and I am your closest friend. So don't worry about nothing. We have a great God. He's the great I Am. Today I want to talk to you about that God, Jesus Christ. He's the, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And uh, when we talk about God, God wants us to talk about His Son. He is proud of His Son. So that's what we're going to do today, is lift up Jesus Christ. The title of my message today is going to be By, uh, by Grace Through Faith. Kind of out of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But we're going to look at the book of Ruth. She didn't have that. <laughs> For by grace through faith. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Somebody help me start it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Y'all ain't no help. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that God supplies grace for us. God is a gracious God. God is sovereign. And that's one point I want to make strong today, that we serve a sovereign God. That means God 
is in control of everything that's going on on the face of this whole earth all the time, always has been, and always will be. He's God, He can't help it, He's sovereign. But at the same time, He's gave man the ability to make his own choice, which He did in the Garden of Eden, and that's why we're where we're at today. But man fulfilled God's plan, he didn't thwart God's plan. And that's hard for us to understand, but God knows what he's doing. And listen, God has a plan for each one of us in this room, for everybody. He has a plan for our life. He's designed that plan perfectly that it would come to pass and work for his honor and for his glory. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. And if you'll keep that at the front of things, it'll help you a whole lot. Turn to Ruth chapter 1. We'll be looking at the whole chapter. Don't worry. Jake trimmed my notes over here a while ago. He said, I'll help you trim some of that off. And, and Dwight's done told me what not to say, so I think I've got it. I'm not sure. And somebody said, if I amen you, will it scare you to death? I said, I wish somebody would. That way I'd know I was at least on the right track. I'd love a few good hearty amens through the message. Anytime you want to praise the Lord and honor Him, don't worry about me. I'll be all right in time. About 11.30. <laughs> but by grace through faith today, God has many attributes, many different attributes. An attribute is things that are true about the person of God. An attribute. Uh, sovereignty is one of those attributes, and that's why I wanted to speak on that subject today. i got a quote here I'd like to read you from A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. He has one chapter on the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is the attribute by which He rules His entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. That means God can do anything He wants to. He has the power and He has the knowledge to do anything He wants to, any way He wants to. And He don't have to ask us. He don't have to run it by us. He's God and He knows what's best. Don't ever forget that. No matter what's happening in your life, God knows best, and He's working all things for His glory and for your good. All things do work together for good to them who love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. If there's one speck, and I don't know how else to describe it, of knowledge that God does not have, then He's not all-knowing. He must have all knowledge. He is all-knowing. That is one of His attributes. That's something that is true about God. He is, he is also omnipotent. That means He's all-power. If there's one speck of power that God does not have, then He's not all-powerful. And He bows to that lack of knowledge, or that lack of power, either one. But He's all-knowing, and He's all-powerful, and He's absolutely free to do anything he wants to, any way He wants to. And that's where grace comes in and faith comes in. God supplies us with grace. We talk about it in a spiritual aspect, and it is. But listen, we live and we move and we have our being by God's grace. The clothes you're wearing were given you by God's grace. The job you work is by God's grace. The cars, the homes, the children, anything you have used, anything that we use any point in any day of time is given us by God's grace. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you by His grace. You may have went to work by faith, but God gave it to you. He gave you the ability to go, the physical health to go. Some can't go. 
God's grace has supplied for us everything that we could possibly need to live any day in any life that any of us are living at any one time. God is faithful. And God is gracious. And He is sovereign. And I hope to explain that in a way maybe that will make it a little more understanding through the message. He is sovereign. Remember that. That means He can do anything, any way, anyhow that He wants to. And He answers to no one. He asks advice of no one. Because He's sovereign. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. But the grace that He gives to us in order that we might do the things that He wants us to do by grace through faith. All right, I've asked Randy Harmon if I could use him for... And it's, he said I could, so uh, this is by permission, okay? Randy has a logging business. He hauls logs. He cuts... Him and Dirk and uh, Levi cuts trees out in the woods drag them with a skitter to the, to, the, to the knuckle boom, cuts them up in lengths, and puts them on a log truck. It's an 18-wheeler. It has a tractor and then a tag-along trailer behind it. You can put 80,000 pounds and not a pound more, right, brother? Not a pound more. Where's Perry at? He'll be watching for us if we go over 80,000. Forty ton will that tractor and trailer haul out of the mountains to Jake's sawmill so he can saw them up into lumber. Now, that, that truck... That log truck is going to represent God's grace today. I'm going to use that log truck as God's grace. Now, it's got a good motor. It's got good batteries. It's got fuel. It's got tires. It's got, he can put, he can put those, load that thing completely full of those logs. And the grace of God provides every bit of that. And it sits there loaded by God's grace and God's provision, giving them the strength to work and to carry out the labor that is involved to load that truck. But until Randy steps up in that truck, and I'm going to use the clutch. I mean, it's got a, a key, you turn it, you push a button, the motor fires up, air builds up, you've got two levers over here you push to release the brakes. And then you have to, by faith, Randy's faith, and he's representing faith, and he sets his foot on the clutch. And by faith, he pushes the clutch. There's all that grace. It ain't going nowhere if he doesn't push that clutch and put that truck in gear and then release the brakes and drive away. For it's by grace through faith we do anything and it's all in God's sovereign plan. It's God's plan that Randy has a logging business and works and hauls logs to Jake's sawmill so he can saw them up so they can put them on trailers and haul them all over so you can have all the things you enjoy. And as for the tree huggers, sorry. But God provides for us, folks. And that truck, that big 80,000-pound truck, and it's a powerful truck, it ain't going nowhere. It's not going to pull out of them mountains until you push that clutch by faith. Randy's faith, and he gets up in the truck, and he pushes the clutch, and he drives that thing to the sawmill. But the God's provided the tractor and the trailer, the logs, the skidders, the saw, everything by God's grace to do that work. Okay? That's going to be our illustration to kind of go by. And we want to realize that God in His sovereign plan has set all this up to work. And so has He in your life in whatever you do each day. Listen, let God in and let Him be a part of your life. Let Him run your life and, 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 and learn how to follow Him. I love the testimony of Caleb uh, whenever he was uh, 
following wholly after God. That if you look that up, it meant that everywhere God went, Caleb was right behind him. He had to have good, sweet fellowship with God to know which way God was going and to know where God was at. And that's what we need. If you want to be in the plan of God's sovereign working in your life, if you want to use the grace of God by faith, you're going to have to get in the Word of God on a daily basis and stay close. Every one of us, because there is an adversary, the devil, that goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know how he devours you? Just keeps you away from Jesus. If he can keep you from talking to Jesus, reading about Jesus, reading the Word of God, then he's got you. You just do nothing. But we got work to do, folks. He's the great I Am. And He has a message. The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the complete and total payment for all of our sin. And we're going to see that in Ruth's life if I ever get started. Okay? He didn't, he didn't trim enough. It'll be His fault, okay? Uh, Caleb told Roger in the office this morning, said, boy, I hope you brought you lunch. But it's too late now. We're rolling, okay? Ruth was a great woman of faith. Let's look, let's look now at the, at the Scripture. Do you believe you're a person of great faith? Do you exercise faith? Do you walk by faith? Do you walk in the Spirit? You know, I was reading the other day, if you walk in the Spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're not a part of it. You don't have to work to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All you've got to do is walk in the Spirit. That's all. It's that simple and that easy. We just are going at it the other way. We go out here and try to straighten up our lives. We tell the lost people, you've got to come as you are. You can't get your life straightened up and then come to Jesus to get saved. Then we do the same thing. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. By Him all things consist. I believe that Ruth is a great example of, of, of faith, a woman of great, great faith. And I believe God's sovereign plan unfolds whenever a man and his family is out of the will of God here. And we'll read about that in just a second. Elimelech takes his family and leaves the house of bread. That is, that is ironic, isn't it? Bethlehem means house of bread. He was in Bethlehem, Judah. And he left when a famine came and he went, went down to Moab of all places, a place that, that had fought against Israel for years. Whenever they came out of Egypt, the Moabites wouldn't let them go through their land. Wouldn't let them. And they fought against them over the years. And there was at a time of peace and the famine comes and he leaves the house of bread, takes his wife and two boys and goes down into the uh, country of Moab where there's many strange gods, and I don't even want to tell you about the things I read about the gods of that land, that the children of Israel and no Christian today should ever be a part of it. It's all about us in so many ways. Let's look now at the Scriptures. If you would stand with me for just a second, we'll read, read some verses and get this thing going so we can get out of here at a good time today. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, 
Naomi's husband died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Now there's another place they're out of the will of God. They weren't supposed to marry into the Moabites for ten generations at least, the Bible said, and the law. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Man, things were going downhill, weren't they? Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. The house of bread. Going back to Bethlehem, where the bread's at. Makes sense, don't it? Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, the Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grants you, in verse 9, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him, and they lift up their voice and wept. Then they wanted to go with her. Go down now and look at uh, verse 14. And they lift up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. She held on tight. Now no doubt that, uh, you may be seated, no doubt that, uh, that Naomi had told her two daughter-in-laws about Jehovah God. And they were looking forward to the time of the coming of the Messiah to die on the cross. Naomi had, had shared and witnessed to her two daughter-in-laws. Orpha says she's going back to her house and back to her God. But Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. I love you. First thing Ruth had to do was get saved, wasn't it? How did she get saved? She looked forward to the time that the Messiah would come. She didn't have all of the scriptures that we have today. She had the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. She had the book of Job, and Samuel was writing the book of Samuel at that time. He wrote the book of Ruth, they believe. And she went with, and in Genesis 3.15, it told them that there would come one, the seed of the woman would crush the Satan's head. And there was other scriptures that they had that they knew that would tell them that the Messiah is coming. Look in verse 16 of chapter 1. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return. This is Ruth's first step of faith. This is the first time Ruth pushes the clutch. Okay? And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Sounds like she's wanting that God, doesn't it? I believe this is a testimony of her trust in Christ. Look in verse 12 of chapter number 2. And the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given of thee, Lord God thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. She trusted in the Lord that He would wash her sins away. And boy, did He do a job on Ruth. The testimony of Ruth. I don't know how many times, I'm not a good reader, but I don't know how many times I've read this book. I've listened to it on my phone. I've listened to it over and over. And poor Brenda, I've, I've made her listen to it with me over and over. And I just can't get enough. I started with writing this for the kids club and I, do, I was going to usually do one lesson on a person like that in a smaller book. I done four. Man, it was just so good I couldn't set it down. So I'm excited today to present you by faith, a woman who lived by faith. 
and was right in the middle of God's sovereign working and plan. And the scriptures lays it out for us so beautifully. She trusted the Lord. Then she committed her life to the Lord. She yielded and gave her life completely to God. She gave it for the rest of her life. Listen to this in verse 17. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me. And more also, if all but part, death part thee and me. Naomi, I know you're, you're, she's an old lady. It says so up here in verse 11. Why will you go with me? I know verse 12, for I am too old to have a husband. She was an old lady and she couldn't have children no more. She wasn't able to take a... And, and there was going back to the, the land of, of, of Judah, back to Bethlehem, and there they had nothing. They had the land that they had left evidently in the house where they were living, but they were broke. And, and Ruth was saying, I'm going to support you. And hey, she didn't go down to, the, to, the, to one of the factories and get a job. It wasn't that easy at that time. She knew she was going to have to work hard and there's going to be a lot of heartaches on the trip to take care of her mother-in-law. But she said, I'm going to do it because it's what God in His sovereign plan for my life wants for me. So they go. And they're back in... Look at chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 2 now. She's cleaving. She's made a vow. She's made her vow to Jesus Christ whom she didn't even know, the Messiah that was coming into her mother-in-law to take care of her. She would do God's will for her life if it cost her her life. In verse 2, I mean chapter uh, 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. All right, they didn't know this at this time. We'll look at verse 2 in just a second. But in the land of Israel, whenever the father died and both sons died and there was no sons to carry on the name of the family, that family would go extinct. That would be the end of that family. And under, under the Jewish law, they, was a, they would be a kinsman redeemer, the near of kin who would come and marry that woman and raise up seed to the family and for the inheritance to carry on that family. And without this, Elimelech's family was over. I'll tell you what, it gets much richer than that. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you because I'm just like that. I'll tell the end at the beginning. Hey, they had a son. They got married. They had a son. You know who that son was? His father of... His name was Obed. He was the father of, of Jesse. Who was the father of King David. No Ruth, no Je- Obed, no Jesse, no David. And do you know who Boaz's mother was? You remember the lady in Jericho that was on the wall that he had despised Rahab? That was Boaz's mother. Isn't that cool? Don't God work? Do you see the God hand of God working in the lives of these people? All right, now they're looking, they're hoping for a kinsman redeemer. That's the only hope the family has. And here's what Ruth's going to do. She's going to go out to the fields and work. And the, under the Levitical law too, they said that they left the, uh, the corners of the fields and some uh, of the corn in the field in order that the poor the strangers and the widowed could come and find food. And she was all three. She was all three. She was qualified for that. But she was a Moabitess. She was a Gentile. And she came back here with Naomi, and the only thing she had was the testimony that God, through His sovereign working in her life, gave her. And boy, it was a good one. We'll look at that in a minute. Let's let's start looking at some of the things that Ruth did by faith when she pushed the clutch. 
And, the, and Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go. She's coming under the authority of her mother-in-law. She's willing to be governed and to put her place in a way of harm in order that she might do the thing that she believed God wants her to do. Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Grace. Isn't that beautiful? She knew what it was. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now, if Ruth the Moabitess, had, a, had, had, had she could go to any field that she wanted to and go and, and glean. But that didn't mean they would receive her. They could have killed her and thrown her in the bushes if they didn't like her. That didn't mean they were all godly people who were raising uh, the harvest and that anybody could just come and do and they would do what they're supposed to do. If they said, let's get rid of that foreign woman, she could be a goner. But in the sovereign working of God, let's look right on down here and she, in verse 3, And she went and came and gleaned in the field of the reapers, and her hap, and that word means chance or occurrence or fortune, was to light, that means to encounter or come upon, her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech. She didn't know that at this time. It was the sovereign leading of God that led her to that field. She got permission she went through the authority, so to speak. She got permission. She went to, went to the field to, to ask if she could reap and glean so she could feed her mother-in-law and herself. Then Boaz comes, and, and we'll look at how she approached the, uh, Boaz's foreman here in a minute. And Boaz coming unto his servants and was set over the reapers. He came to his foreman that was over the reapers, and he looked out in the field. Now there's many maidens out there that are gleaning, and some may be his, some may be strangers and, and the poor and the widowed, but they're there. But he picks her out. And that's the sovereign working of God. He wanted her, he, he, God wanted her to see Ruth because there was a great plan coming together. And the sovereign hand of God was working and grace was being received by Ruth and Boaz as this went on. And he says, whose damsel is this? And I looked at that word, whose. And, and I mean, hey, women were property. You know, women belonged to people at that time. Man, we got it made today. But in the Hebrew, that means, who does that baby doll belong to? That's the Hebrew, in case you was wondering. He looked out there and says, whose damsel? Whose? I want that woman. Man, look at her. She's going for it. She's beautiful. Everything about her, it was just in his heart. God put it in his heart. He's seen her. And he said, Who's? and this is what the servant told him about Ruth. And the, in verse 6, And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish, the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, Ruth said to him, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers amongst the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. So she came and humbled herself to the servant of Boaz to go into this field, not knowing whose it was or any of the details. She was just praying in her heart and looking for the leading of the Lord. And I believe she was. I believe she was following as the Holy Spirit led her. The thing just comes together too good. And she goes out there and she works and she starts gleaning. She's not lazy. She's working, man, in the hot sun and harvest time. And she's gleaning, picking up 
those pieces of wheat and barley that she was going to fix for her and her mother-in-law to eat. She asked permission. And you know what, the, what he says? It is the Moabite stanza that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. They knowed exactly who she was. And as we read on, you'll see that the testimony of Ruth, when she came back, was just blossoming for the glory of God. They knew that this was a godly woman. Now she became a Jewish woman under the law for her salvation. And now she was working and gleaning, and they knew why she was doing it, because she could have been in Moab living in a lap of luxury if she'd wanted to. But the will of God was more important to her than her own luxury and the things that she wanted. She was willing to do what she had to do to take care of her grand, to take care of her mother-in-law. Then said, then Boaz goes to her. Man, he can't stand it. Uh, he, he not, his, he's got a heart. His heart's pounding for this little lady. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. You stay right here. You pick up my barley. Neither from, go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Verse 9, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Wherever they go to next, you go with them, Ruth. Don't you go in the other field. Her testimony had already led her to the place that they was want, he was wanting to keep her right there and keep her safe, to protect her. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. That's what your kinsman redeemer does with you all the time. Jesus Christ. He's the one that redeemed the Gentile bride, just as Boaz is going to redeem the Gentile bride. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And go after them, and have not I charged the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And look what she did as a testimony to the glory of God in verse 10. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thy sight? Grace. She knew that the grace of God was working right in front of her. The provision of God was working in her life as she went to that field. And, and now Boaz comes to her. I have I, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? She admitted, I'm, I'm not from around here. I'm, I'm from a, a foreign country, and you know where I'm from. And Boaz answered and said in verse 11 unto her, It hath fully been shown me all... Here's her testimony. The one that God has given her. Now, God, through His grace, gave her, but she had to walk by faith. She came out of Moab by faith. She went to the field to glean by faith. She went to work by faith. And I don't imagine she felt like it, but she did. I imagine she was a little afraid. I don't know. Maybe she was such, had such great faith that she was fearless. I don't know. It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and are come unto the people which thou knewest not heretofore. You didn't know nothing about us, and you've come here to take care of Naomi. You know what she did? She's pushing the cart. It ain't going to happen if we don't move by faith. Sometimes we're going to have to step into some places that's mighty frightening. Some things that we don't know whether we want to be a part of that or not because we don't know how it's going to come out. But God's got it. God's sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. 
And he's completely free to do anything any way he wants to. But it won't happen if we don't trust him. Under whose wings thou hast come to trust, he said. The Lord recompense. This is a prayer. They say this is a prayer in verse 12. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, unto whose wings thou hast come to trust. In verse 10, 12, she responds and, and says to him, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight. There's grace again. My Lord, she calls him Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaiden, though I be not like unto thy, one of thy handmaidens. Matthew 7, Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh shall find. Findeth. And he that knocketh, it shall be opened unto him. Folks, we're not knocking. We're not pushing the clutch. We're not walking by faith. We only do what many times what we can figure out safe and will work and be profitable for us. Sometimes we need to find the mind of God and just step out into, into the territory where it's not, not so easy, not so safe. If we'll do that, God will provide. He wants to be trusted. He wants us to understand that He's in control and nothing can happen unless He allows. And Boaz said unto her, it's it just more grace. Here's some more grace. Look at this in verse 14. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat the bread and dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat down beside the reapers. And look at this. And he reached her parched corn and she did eat and sufficed and left. He handed her food. Boaz, the rich, powerful leader in Israel, in Bethlehem there, he said, here, you take this and eat. He was showing her his love every way he could. And she was liking it too. Because life was getting better and better all the time. Hey, sometimes I believe we pull ourselves into poverty and stay there just simply because we won't trust God. It may be spiritual poverty. You ain't going to take a dime with you when you leave this world anyway. So what matters outside of the spiritual thing? What we can do for Jesus Christ while we're alive here on this earth... That's the only thing that's going to go to eternity with us. And we need to please our Lord. We need to lift up Jesus Christ till the whole world can see Him. If we don't now, they don't have anything else. They don't have anything else to lean on. They don't have nobody to turn to. Our government is not our answer. And a big checkbook is not our answer either. It could all be gone overnight and we could all be broke. Y'all could be where I live. I tell you, that's a lie. I live pretty good. I live real good. You know, you go to a foreign country and look around a little bit. You, you, I can take you around this county and show you some people that are in pretty rough shape. And when she was in verse 15, and when she was risen up to glean, she goes back to work. She eats and goes back to work. In verse 15, let her glean among the sheaves and reproach her not. Don't you touch her. She's mine. That baby doll is mine. And you better take care of her. You'll be hunting work. If not, your head. And let fall also. Look at this. Isn't this, isn't this the way our God likes to do for us? Listen carefully, verse 16. And let, this is what you call high cotton. All right? 
and let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Boaz is telling his laborers, said, you make sure some things drop on purpose and she's got a lot. Make it easy so she don't have to pick up here and there. Leave big bunches laying for her so she can get it because she deserves it. That's the way he saw it. Do we deserve anything? Yet God gives it to us like we do. Man, is he something or what? It's, it's about Jesus Christ. He's the one that's moving and working in the life of Ruth. And ain't a thing to stop him from anything he desires to do himself, any way he desires to do it. I want to be in the way. Don't you, Jake? I want to be standing in the place where God's coming through. And then I'm going to get right behind him like old Caleb and just walk right along. Follow him. With all my heart. I wish I could. I wish I would do that. I wish I'd just push the clutch myself. And let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. And she gleaned to the end of the barley harvest. And she went home and took back the barley and she had to beat it out so that they could use it. She took it back to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law said, My goodness, now that's in the Greek too. How in the world did you get all this in one day? But she did, and she said, where did you glean it? And she said, a man named Boaz. And of course, she knew who he was. She said, he's, he's a near kinsman, not the nearest. But he's a near kinsman. He can redeem us. He can save our family name. And by the way, he's providing for our living by letting you glean in his field. Because God put it in his heart. God caused him to fall in love with, him, with her. And her to fall in love with him. It's a beautiful love story, and I like it. It ain't no good if the guy doesn't get the girl at the end. I'm sorry. It just ain't worth fooling with. Chapter 3. The real test is coming now. I mean, she's been in some dangerous situations, folks. There's some things went on in Ruth's life here that are, that are really dangerous that she... And now in verse 2, chapter 3. And now is not Boaz of, Boaz of our kindred, whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnoweth. He beats out the barley. That's what they had to do. They, it, the word winnoweth, uh, if I wrote it down somewhere, toss about, to scatter, to fan. They would beat it out and then the chaff would blow away and they would have the seed, they would have the barley left that they could use. He winnoweth, he winnoweth barley, Tonight in the threshing floor. Alright, they were in the barns where they were storing their, their barley. They had to beat it out that night. This was a, a time that they did this thing in order. It was out in the country. She lived in the city. It was dangerous at night. Look what her mother-in-law asks her to do. And it's all by faith. Depending solely on the provision of God and His sovereign will. Grace! you got it. You've got it. Did you know that? It's all about you everywhere you look. When you sit down at your lunch today, look at it. It's God's grace that gave you the meal. And some people don't have it. Wash thyself. Oh, you could go. I could preach right there the rest of the week. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But, look at this. 
but make not thyself known unto the man until he have found, have done eating and drinking. Look over in verse 14 at the end of the thing, the last, last part of it. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. The women were not allowed there. They weren't supposed to be there. But her mother-in-law says, get yourself dressed up real pretty, fix your hair, put some of that smelly stuff on, and go down there to the floor and watch and wait. Go down there and watch and wait. In the dark, no street lights, and not none of the convenience. She couldn't call home on the cell phone if things went bad. Boy, we got it made, don't we? We really do. And God gets very little praise for it, folks. We ought to wear ourselves out praising the Lord for everything that He gives us by His grace. By His grace. And it shall be, verse 4, And it shall be, when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Now they're in the dark. He's going to lie down. There may be others there. She better make sure she knows where he lies down. She's got to go by faith. She lays down the wrong one. I don't know. Let's put it that way. Verse 4, And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. All right. She goes, she marks, and they wear the robes, his, his robes down over his feet. She tells her to go in and raise up his robe. Now, there's nothing indecent or ungodly about this. It was the custom of the day. That's how she was proposing marriage to him. Offering herself, I guess you'd say, to him as to be her kinsman redeemer. Now, I don't know about What if he was ticklish? Now, I know I'm being silly, but, you know, hey, there's a whole lot comes into play here. She's going in the dark to uncover a man's feet and lay down, and he's asleep. I know this. I've been with Brenda 45 years, and you don't touch her feet. You'll get to see Jesus if you cut her feet. Now, that's just the way it is now. I thought about that sitting there last night, and I think, man, what a chance she's taking. But it's the sovereign working of grace of God. She pushes the clutch, and God's there. And everything works and goes forward. God's got it! He's got it all the time. There's not a minute He doesn't have it in your life and in mine. But we've got to trust Him. It, 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 it's an embarrassment to Him when His children don't trust Him, that have His Word and read and know what He says, and then we won't trust Him. We'll trust in our bank accounts. We'll trust in our abilities, our strength even. Where in the world was I? I tell you what, the great reward's coming in chapter 4. Anyhow, in verse chapter 3, back to verse 5, now she's told her what to do. She's listening to her mother-in-law again. Some of us would say, you're trying to get me killed. You're trying to get me hurt bad. Not her, not Ruth, not Ruth. She was ready to go by faith. She was ready to push the clutch. The grace of God couldn't take her nowhere. Till she went by faith. Till she pushed the clutch. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest, in verse 5, unto me, I will do. 
all that thou sayest unto me. And she went down to the floor and did according to all that the mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drank, in verse 7, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay her down. And it came to pass. At midnight the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Scared him to death. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. Spread therefore thy skirt over me, over thine handmaiden, for thou art a near kinsman. Want to see some more grace? Want to see some more testimony of the sovereign working of God's grace in the life of Boaz and Ruth? She's went all the way from Moab by faith. And now look what happened. Verse 10, the testimony of her faith. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness to her mother-in-law in the latter end at the beginning as much as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor or rich. Verse 11, And now, my daughter, fear not, I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll be your kinsman redeemer. I'll fulfill the grace and the sovereign will of God in your life. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The testimony of a godly woman from the time she came back with Naomi from Moab. Everybody knew who she was. They could see the glory of God in her. I don't believe there's nothing more beautiful than a woman that's walking with God. I really don't. I mean, God will just take and glorify and and just put the light, put the glory on the face of a a godly woman. That's what the deal was, man. Fear not, I will do to thee. The test comes, though, but he says he's a near kinsman. And I'll tell you what, he put on her six measures of barley, she went out into the night, dangerous again, and went to her mother-in-law. And there she told her, she said, she said told her that she'd done what she said and everything was in order. And in verse 18, chapter 3, then said she, Naomi, sit still. Time just to trust the Lord. This is the part we have trouble with, isn't it? We do all that we know to do and things aren't happening. And now we've got to figure out, do we just sit still now? Do I just sit here and wait? That ain't in my genes. I want to move and do something. Something's got to happen. And we get head up sometimes and we make it happen. We get out of the will of God. We just got to wait on God's grace to work sometimes. My daughter, wait, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until we have finished the thing this day. This day. And it did. He went right straight to the gate. Some I read thought he was a high official, maybe even a judge in in Bethlehem. Called this near kinsman, laid it out. The guy said, I'll redeem her. And he said, you got to marry the woman. He said, I ain't going to redeem her. And and then the testimony in chapter 4. Verse number 10. 10. Testimony. This is after, the, after he'd given him shoe, and that was a sign that they had made a deal. He gave him his shoe. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, this is uh, Boaz talking, have I purchased to be my wife? 
to raise up the name of the dead among in, upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of, the, of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. He bought the wife. She was his. It's all settled. A poor, broke, widow, Gentile woman now is married to one, probably one of the most powerful men in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Isn't that beautiful? And God's providing. Now, there's several places, and I don't have the time to go in, where the word rest is used. Every one of them, I believe, have a different meaning. But that's what she wanted for her daughter-in-law. Hey, it was amazing to me. Naomi wanted the best for her daughter-in-law. Sure, she wanted the name of the family to go. She loved Ruth, and she wanted the best for her. And Ruth wanted the best for her mother-in-law. Isn't that a beautiful situation? Why is it so much about us? Why is it always important that I get my way or that you hear what I've got to say or that I get the last word in? Why is it that we're so important when it's all about Jesus Christ? Why? Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and He'll exalt us in due season if we faint not. God wants to do a work in your life and in my life. And He can't do it because we won't let Him most of the time. We won't push the clutch. We won't walk by faith. Listen, unless somebody gets up in that log truck, pushes that clutch, those logs aren't going nowhere. All that power just sits there. Think about the power of Almighty God that wants to work in your life, just you, that God wants to do if He can just get you to push the clutch. Just trust Him. Just believe Him. And you look in verse 17, the last part of... Well, verse 17. And the woman her, woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And his father of, he's the father of Jesse, the father of David. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. This Gentile Moabitess woman. Now I want to read you just a, a short excerpt from the Knowledge in the Holy. Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer on the sovereignty of God, because I believe it, it, uh, I believe it explains it better than I could, I could begin to explain it. Bear with me, it's, it's a little lengthy, but I'll try to, try to get done quick. His sovereignty requires that he be absolutely free, which means simply that he must be free to do whatever he wills, to do anywhere at any time to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Were he less than free he would be less than sovereign. Let me go right over here just a second, and I'll be done. Another real problem created by the doctrine of divine sovereignty, and there are several problems, but they, the Scriptures takes care of them, has to do with the will of man. If God rules His universe by His sovereign decrees, how is it possible for man to exercise free choice? If he cannot exercise freedom of choice, how can he be held responsible for his conduct. Is he not a mere puppet whose actions are determined by a behind-the-scenes God who pulls the strings as it pleases him if he cannot exercise free will? Here's my view. God's sovereignty, this is A.W. Tozer's, God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil as Adam and Eve did for us in the beginning which we followed well. 
When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it. Inasmuch as the eternal decree did not decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. If in his absolute freedom God has willed to give man limited freedom, who is there to say, stay his hand or say, What doest thou? Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would, he would be afraid to do so. But see, he can fix it. Here's the illustration. Perhaps a homely illustration might help us to understand. An ocean liner leaves New York bound for Liverpool. Its destination has been determined by proper authorities. Nothing can change it. This is at least a faint picture of sovereignty. On board the liner are several scores of passengers. These are not in change, neither are their activities determined for them by decree. They are completely free to move about as they will. They eat, they sleep, they play, they lounge about on the deck, read, talk all together as they please. But all the while, the great liner is carrying them steadily on toward a predetermined port. Both freedom and sovereignty are present here, and they do not contradict each other. So it is, I believe, with man's freedom and the sovereignty of God. The mighty liner of God's, of God's sovereignty, sovereign design, keeps its steady course over the sea of history, God moves undisturbed, unhindered toward the fulfillment of those eternal purposes which He purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. We do not know all that that is included in those purposes, but enough has been disclosed to furnish us with a broad outline of things to come to give us good hope and firm assurance of future well-being. I have a, my final question this morning is just simply this. What in this world can grace through faith do in your life? What in this world, while we're here to work and do for God, can grace through faith do in your life? Will you trust the Lord? Will you walk with the Lord? Will you turn your life completely over to the Lord? You know, you're doing that on a continuous basis. But honestly... There has to come a point in your life where you make that absolute surrender to start with. Where you, if you've never said, God, I give you all that I have and I'm going to trust you and walk with you. And then you practice that day after day the rest of your life. It's hard. You trust God and you believe that He's in control and has your best interest at heart. Will you trust Him? Stand to your feet if you would. Bow your head and close your eyes. You may be here and you've never trusted Christ at all. You don't know nothing about what I'm talking about here. And it may be even sound a little far-fetched. But I want you to know in the sovereign plan of God, in the sovereign will of God, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires today for everyone in this world to know Him as Lord and Savior. He wants us to be a part of His family and to come and live with Him for eternity. We had Brother Gail Osborne's funeral here yesterday. Brother Gail's walking in the streets of glory today because he trusted Christ as his Savior. Eighty-six years he lived here, and now he's with Jesus for all eternity. Have you ever been saved? 
Have you ever put your absolute, complete, and total trust in the death of Christ to be sufficient payment for your sins? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never trusted Christ today, if you would come, someone would be glad to take the Bible and show you how that you might put your trust in Christ today in repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is just simply the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't depend on yourself. You have to recognize you're a sinner. And you have to recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can ever come to the Father but by Him. Christian, you know what you need to do in your heart. And I just pray now that you would make a decision and start a process and walk with God the best you know how. That's what I like about it. It's just simply the best you know how. Father, please work in the hearts of people now as we begin our invitation. Please touch lives and help us all. If there's one here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day that they start their journey to trust you, to repent of their sins, and to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother, would you have a lead us in a hymn of invitation? Invitation this morning is 596. I surrender all. Amen. You may need to do that today. You may just start, just surrender your life back to God. Or surrender your life to God for the first time. Whatever your need, God's way. Oh, to Jesus Trust Christ today, your Savior. He would meet you here and help All right, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Hope you have. Remember, we got to walk by faith. We can't, we can't hold back. We're gonna, you're just going to miss a lot of good times. All right, Brother Peter, would you please close us?